right, three, two, one. We are on. So, welcome to the Hive. This is Brian Wright with my guest Jim. Tell me the proper way to spell. Say your last name. Rafone. Rafone. So, I recently met Jim because uh, he has a charity, and we were talking about different things we can do. Jim has a a relationship with Duchenne, which I would like him to kind of explain. So, introduce yourself, Jim, and then. Let's talk a little bit about what got you onto this charity and the different areas we've gone from there. Well, first and foremost, thank you very much for having me here on your podcast. You're welcome. Uh, Thanks love, for coming. Appreciate it. I love the name, The Hive. It's awesome. Yeah, so it sticks with the bee theme. Yeah, no, it's great. And it, uh, it indicates a lot of different uh, feelings, so that's pretty awesome. Uh, so my relationship with Duchenne muscular dystrophy is definitely a hate-hate relationship. And the reason I say that is because uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy is a 100% pediatric fatal disease that after 200 years of being discovered, there is no cure. And to date, my son, James, who's the inspiration behind the Jar of Hope, James Anthony Raffone, he is uh, sick with this disease. And it kills me every single day to see my son fall apart, um, and he shouldn't be. No child with this disease should be falling apart the way they do. So what is Duchenne specifically? Uh, what are some of the details about it, so people that aren't familiar with it? So the science behind the disease is uh, we men, we have an XY makeup, and the largest gene in the human body is known as the dystrophin gene, and it falls on the X chromosome. So my son's X chromosome, this dystrophin gene that lives on the X chromosome is dysfunctional. It's broken, if you will. So his body cannot produce a protein to stabilize muscle tissue. So like you and I, like your, your killer bees here, right? When they go to the gym and they work out no matter what they do, their bodies break down. It's when they go home and they eat and they sleep, do their bodies recover. So children with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, the simple concept of walking breaks down their leg muscles, their quadriceps, their glutes, and no matter how much they eat, no matter how much rest they get, their body will never recover. So each and every day they fall apart more and more. That is just the most god-awful scenario. As a father of two boys, um, I I can't imagine what you're going through with this. Uh, it's it's awful, and that's why I wasn't really aware of it, of, of everything that was going on with this, and then we had a meeting in a mutual acquaintances situation and then when i found out about this uh i really felt like it's something that we have to get involved with and we have to jump on board with because this is this is just it hits way too close for home for me and i think anybody that has a child it has to hit close to home for him because I, I i can't even put into words the feelings i have about the idea of finding out that if my child had this and had and i have to go through what you're going through and now that kind of leads to a couple things so um, let everybody know about a couple a couple of the things that you have done and that you are doing to bring awareness to your your charitable foundation. Well, our brand uh, Jar of Hope it it started with push ups and it started incredibly by the um, the fighting community. So you're familiar with Mr. Mark Henry? Yes. So Mark Henry and some of the amazing fighters that he he works with down there in Tom's River, uh, Frankie Edgar, to to name a few, and Nick Catone and those gentlemen, I was invited to their gym and they surprised me with a campaign that is now known as 10 Push-Ups for $10. Mark uh, brought together some of the greatest fighters in the world to show this muscle-wasting disease, those boys who are dying every day from this disease. 
that they had the support from the fighting community, which meant the world to me. And they all got together and they all got down and did 10 push-ups and then donated, uh, you know, crazy amounts of money, which really helped the foundation sparked the first study ever with the University of Minnesota, and uh, it's known as the HBOT study, where we have this device that my son sleeps in every other night to compress oxygen into his system to potentially recover muscle tissue, or at least slow down the breakdown of muscle tissue. So thanks to those guys, uh, kudos to them, and, and we still do this worldwide. And besides the push-ups, you do a lot of different, you do ultra running and things of that nature. So. I know you have events coming up like Arizona and Australia and New Zealand and the New York Marathon. So what what are you doing in these events? So I run every single event that I can get into. And uh, starting with, uh, which is a couple of days away, the New York City Marathon, I will be running 26.2 miles in that marathon to raise awareness for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And uh, over this will be my sixth New York City Marathon in six years. And in the last six years, we have now graduated to a team of 44 runners. So what made you, what got you running? Have you always been a runner? Or is this something that you picked up? Never. And I don't even think I've picked it up yet. I don't want to insult <laughs> any of the other runners out there uh, who are runners. I, I would be considered the Clydesdale of the groups because I'm over 220. So you're a mover. Uh, yeah. You're a mover. <laughs> <laughs> but what made you go to this of all the things? Because you're a big dude. I mean, you could have done powerlifting. You could have done a, a, a multitude of things. What made you pick running? Well, I did try to get into powerlifting to try and get that community as well. But what was awesome was the running community was very well received what i was trying to do they welcomed it they okay so it was a good it was a marriage of of uh communities that worked well absolutely and and i can't thank them enough especially the ultra running community which is uh, a race that is over 26.2 miles so it's usually a 50k which is about 35 miles um, I have started running. I was challenged in uh, 2016 to run an ultra marathon, a ultra stage race, which is over a 26.2 miles a day for seven days. And I was challenged to do this on the rim of the Grand Canyon uh, through uh, a, a week, a week, <laughs> a week long event. And it's 171 miles at the end of the day. Oh my God! I've done some crazy mileage in my youth. Um, I can't imagine doing it today. Uh, I don't want to throw you under the bus, but how old are you? I'm 48. 48 years old, and you're doing this. I'm going to be 49 in a couple of days. Well, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. That's So something for me, when you take on a physical challenge that's connected with raising awareness, I understand that you're doing this, you're getting awareness, it's marriage of communities, but there's got to be some kind of drive in you to do this because this is, you can't, you can't uh, have a uh, association with it. You have to be really involved. This is a big undertaking to be able to run 26 miles, let alone once, but to do it as many times as you're doing it. So what's, what's going on in you that's getting pushing you through these events? When I talk to everybody, it's all about my why. 
and I'll share with you as well. It's, okay. it's why I do anything and everything. So the psychology around or the strategy around Jar of Hope and how it's evolved is all because I need to get in front of as many people as possible to spread the word as fast as possible because no one has ever heard of this disease. Yep. I didn't know this disease ever existed before my son was diagnosed. So the, the running community, I will run with approximately 80,000 people on Marathon Sunday in New York City. The biggest thing, best thing I can do is I talk to almost every person I come across about the butterfly on my chest, and it's my why. My son is dying slowly before my eyes. And there is a doctor on September 13th at 4 o'clock in the afternoon at a hospital looked me straight in the face. And just imagine this. She told me, Mr. Raffone, go home and love your son. There is nothing you can do for him to save his life. Now, as a father, it's our job. It's it's an innate to protect our children, right? The mothers are the caregivers, and, the, and that's why they call it nesting when they're pregnant. But when those children come into the world, it's our job to protect them for the rest of their lives. And a woman told me in one second, in one sentence, you will never be able to protect your son. That That just went right through me. Like, I can't tell you. It cut me like a hot, hot knife. And, and, and she never pulled it out. And every time there's an event or something I get to do to speak in front of people like this podcast right now, uh, my why is my son. To tell everybody this world about Duchenne muscular dystrophy and what it is doing to a generation of boys that do not deserve it. It was not something that they did. It was not something that I did. It's a genetic disorder that takes the lives of these kids and it's done in the shadows and nobody knows about it. Well, I'm here to say it ends, and it ends now with the jar of hope. And whatever I got to do to tell the rest of the world about this and run as many races as I can all over the world, I will do that until Duchenne is a household name and one child can raise their hand and say, I survived Duchenne. 200 years, not one child can raise his hands and say, I survived Duchenne. By the age of 15, they're quadriplegics. What kind of numbers are we talking about, say, in the United States, the amount of kids that are are afflicted with this there there is a recorded number of 20,000 children so there's and there's a lot of factors that go into why isn't it more the problem is the kids die at a very young age yeah right they can't stop the disease they can't get enough kids in the study but there's 20,000 and then the medical community says well that's not enough children that are sick with the disease we're going to classify that as an orphan disease which is a rare disease and uh, sorry we're not going to put money behind it because there's not enough kids to make money off of. Well, the thing that, you know, in the big number game that you're talking about, from the clinical sense, they look at it that way. But as a parent with a child, who gives a shit if it's a million, if it's one, it's your one. A hundred percent. So, of course, you have the endurance to do the things you're doing. That's my why. Yeah. I I, I, I fully get it. And... Uh, I was, I literally, I just finished pro practice shortly before you got here, and I have someone that's kind of struggling through a point in their career right now, and we were just talking, and they're not understanding how, you know, the things they need to figure this out, and it's funny, it's, uh, every time I do this podcast, I always bring it back to something that happened on the map, because honestly, I think when you're doing everything at a high level, and you're passionate about it, I think we're all making the same choices, and we're having the same experiences in just different arenas, so I'm not belittling your situation and elevating another it's just humans dealing with struggle mm -hmm. and the one thing we we're talking about was though it's 
you have to fail until you don't. 100%. And it's failing forward, and it's just getting up, and whatever it is that you're facing, letting it know that you have the endurance to persevere, whatever it's going to bring at you, and you're going to die before you quit, so you're never going to lose this battle. So that is just the thing. When you're in a situation like this where you have the institutions are not prepared to invest in it, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? And I, I really commend you for it is that not only – because a lot of people will get up and they'll scream and yell or they'll cry and put it into a negative, non-functional, non-practical situation and you've actually created the framework for – getting the funds that the institutions won't provide to create the studies that are needed to combat this situation. And so it's the endurance factor. It's the perseverance. It's the just not quitting. You just keep knocking on every door and getting in front of every person and you keep running all these races. So when you're a 48, 49-year-old, 220-pound guy running 26 miles, it's like, what are you, nuts? But no, you're not nuts. You're doing it for your kids, so of course you're going to do it. Absolutely. If it's the thing. So I guess it kind of running is the, the thing for you, but something would have been your thing. This just happens to be it because it's the community that gets you the attention. But, yeah, man, the endurance and the perseverance factor, that's the key to everything. You want to you wanna conquer things that people say are unconquerable. You just can't quit. Right. And, and I would bring it back to it's not just the running community. I'm involved in every aspect of the health and fitness community. A few years ago, when I ran my first ultra marathon in the desert, um, I failed. So bring it back to failure, right? Mm-hmm. But it was no gr- I was 243 pounds carrying 30 pounds of, of survival gear on yeah. my back. So I'm 270 pounds in the desert where the nearest guy who weighs next to me is, is 185 pounds and is 5'5". Five five. I don't belong in that arena, right? But I did it because it raised awareness globally instantly for my family and yep. for this disease. What spawned of that was I go back the next year to try and beat the race because if you don't get through a certain amount of time and a certain amount of distance and a certain amount of time, they pull you from the race. And not only are we doing 171 miles in the desert, but we're climbing 19,000 feet over seven days and descending 14,000 feet. And we're starting at 5,500 feet and we finish somewhere. There's a 5,000 foot elevation net gain in the difference. So you're at 10,000 feet elevation. A guy like me is very difficult to breathe. Not to mention the, the, the science. There's a lot of whole things going wrong with me. I'm a first responder at 9-11. I have a heart condition. I do not belong anywhere near this race. You can't create enough oxygen to get that big ass of yours <laughs> up that mountain. Uh, so it, at mile 107, at, uh, after a 900 foot vertical climb, I have a heart attack. Oh, my God. Going back to your, you, you can't stop and, and you have to fail. So I was ill-prepared for that race because I was worried about my son's ninth birthday and making sure that he was walking. I didn't care about myself. I come back. Now, everybody tells me, Jim, you're done. Your running career is over. My board, my family, my friends, everybody's about to disown me because, you know, I'm lucky to be alive. I come back and I November uh, November of 2017 and I run the New York City Marathon and I finish it. I go to Full Dimension CrossFit in Freehold, New Jersey. I speak with the owner, Rick Burrow. I explain to him what I'm doing and my why. He helps me get in shape. 2018, I go back and I beat the, I beat the race. 
right? Now this sparks, Jar of Hope has created such a team, such a synergy, that since the race's organization, they've never had as many team members come together to run one race in the world. This is the only staged race in the United States. Jar of Hope has brought 37 people there in four years. Wow because of my commitment to my son and you you're right you have to fail and for everybody who's listening who's afraid of failure let me share this because i had my heart attack i was more afraid or am more afraid of my son dying than me getting hurt and if you can put yourself into perspective against fear because fear can do two things it can either propel you or it can freeze you and 90 percent of the people who have fear are frozen by that fear but if you can look through it and really analyze why you're fearful of something, you can get through almost anything. Well, that's what I, I think the greatest value of combat sports in particular is that we don't live in a combative time. In, in this era of the United States, we are, not a, we, are, we are verbally combative. We're combative online. We have great sparring sessions with shitty words on social media. But in the terms of... Warriors. Yeah, in, but the, the idea of physically having to defend yourself and physically go out... I mean, like, think about it. Can you imagine, like, people ask me all the time, like, why are these Dagestani guys so strong? And I'm like... Because they live in the mountains, when they're thirsty, they gotta go and they gotta walk with a bucket. When they're hungry, they gotta go grab something and kill something. Like you know, it creates a different level of human being. I mean, that is that is not something that the average American is understanding. And the idea of being allowed to be afraid but still taking action is not something that we address enough. I think. I think we we. Absolutely. We we cave to that fear, and I think that we actually we're, we we don't we don't even teach our a lot of people are not teaching their kids even the skills to get over that, and that's why I like combat sports is because it it makes you address a a physical conflict in a structured environment. You, mm-hmm. You're pretty sure you're not going to die or get maimed out there, but right. you're running the risk of taking damage, feeling pain, having to push through adversity, things that you know we don't have to do in most scenarios, but it, it gives us the strength to persevere and overcome and that's my whole thing with when you do combat sports if you come here in particular for me my my philosophy is however long you spend with us when you're done with us you feel you're better off from it and if you're going to be better off i want you to feel stronger and i don't think strength is necessarily just lifting heavy weight it's being able to make the right choices at the right time doing the right thing when faced with adversity doing the right thing when you're faced with the easy out but mm-hmm. saying no i'm going to keep going it's just having that ability to persevere to endure overcome that and that's what i think the value is and that's one of the things that leads to something else we were talking about for you is doing the wimp to warrior program absolutely something i'm extremely excited about something i wanted to get involved with four years ago um it was a a, a different arena it was, it was mr lou neglia uh he got behind my son in our fight and i wanted to fight in the roc but my my friends and family said absolutely not i'm not doing it <laughs> But they've come to realize over the last four or five years that there is nothing anybody can say to stop you. Can't me. stop you. But I th- think Wimp to Warrior is a way better scenario than going into ring combat. Because if ring combat is a little bit... It, that's, that's a heavy... That's a heavy challenge. Honestly, I don't even know if the state would allow you to have done that. Well, that I, had, would probably I had to get a waiver signed. I had to get a waiver signed, given my age, because at the time I was still over 45. So there was, it was an amount of paperwork I had amount to go of paperwork, through. Amount of paperwork, amount of medicals, there's a ton yes. of stuff. You still are going to have to go through a lot of that stuff. But yeah. 
the beauty of Wimp to Warrior is that it's a program not for that young guy that's looking to make a professional career out of this. It's more of a transformative bucket list kind of scenario. So the average participant is more 35 to 45 than 18 to 24. And it's people that feel that they need something and they feel like this challenge is going to make them focus on themselves more to solve some of those things they've got going on. I mean, not everybody's coming into it because they're trying to solve some of it. Some people just want to fight because they never had before, mm-hmm. whatever. But the, the, the idea is to take somebody with zero fight experience, train for 20 weeks, and then they fight in an amateur MMA fight. And it's against somebody else from the program. So it's not like we're bringing an ogre in from the outside. It's somebody you do know. It's somebody you have been training with. And that's what makes it fair. And that's what makes the athletic commissions more acceptable to having somebody in your position fight. You know, Because a lot of times they won't let a guy over 45 fight. I'm so excited to get involved with this program. I'm so glad and, you brought it to my attention. And, and, and the thing about it for you, and this is, I've been thinking about this. So... The reason Winter Warrior works, it's a global company. This is a massive company. I think their valuation is, is it's, it's in tens of millions of dollars. This is not like a small thing. This, like, it's an uh, amazing concept. Some of the biggest gyms in the world, Straight Blast Gym in Ireland with Conor McGregor's team, they're doing it. It's TriStar in uh, Montreal. It's AKA out in California. It's Duke Rufus's gym in Milwaukee. You've got a Straight Blast Gym in Oregon. Then you've got a ton of gyms in Australia. Like It's global. Um, City Kickboxing in New Zealand just started doing it. That's where uh, middleweight champ Adesanya is out of. So the biggest MMA facilities in the world are working with Wimp to Warrior to do this program. So they're giving authentic, real training. But the thing is, is that what, what the reason it works is because where gym motivation falls short for people. So a lot of people wake up in the morning and they feel like they need a change. But that feeling, the strength of that feeling dissipates over time. And they don't have the big gorilla in the room to motivate them to go. So with Wimp to Warrior, when you know at the end you're going to have to fight, you have to wake up every day realizing if you miss practice and your opponent doesn't, they're ahead. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not putting in the work and they are, you're going to get beat up in front of your friends and family. You have this thing. Like we're not sitting here. I'm not trying to scare you, but the the, the pressure of actually having to perform is the key to making this work. Mm-hmm. It's what makes you show up in the days you don't want to show up. Now, juxtaposing that to your sitch, you don't need an opponent. You already have one. I do. And you already – you you already have that you know you you don't need another guy in the gym for you to think about you just see your son and you say okay i gotta go and i gotta get this done because i gotta represent and that's what makes this such a good marriage for you is you you have your own drive and fire and i think that when you put it into this i think it'll be an interesting physical experience i think it'll be a great awareness opportunity and quite honestly i think it's a inspirational motivational situation for any of the people that are fortunate enough to join and take part in this season because i think that uh the camaraderie aspect of this is a huge part of it because when you're training day in and day out with people and you're all facing the same challenge even the guy you're fighting against it's kind of like you're high-fiving each other like holy shit are we jumping out of this plane together you know it's 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 not a f you i need to kill you it's like hey let's see what we got today let's push each other it that's what develops and that's one of the misconceptions people have about fighting too uh Yes, there's legitimately people don't like each other that fight at times, but for the most part, combat sports were just professional athletes that are are pushing ourselves and challenging our skills and it really is a deep personal challenge. When you're when you're running, I'm sure I anyone that's doing anything that makes you dig deep, you do get to that point where it gets beyond 
your normal understanding of life you go to that weird place we call it a dark place i call it the dark place too dark place you 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 get to a, a point in which your body and your mind has never been before and you're so uncomfortable you don't know how to deal with it or how to get through it yep but, but you, you do. You find the way to continue. Yes. That's literally a conversation I just had. That was the endurance conversation where someone was saying, what do I need to do? I said, well, you need to spar for an hour straight. You need to spar to the point where you don't want to do it anymore and then still have 30 minutes to go. You have to push yourself into that position where you have to figure out how to survive. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, and that's the thing. That could be the, the the only thing, the only element between you and your opponent that makes you the champion or of the course. guy who lost, winner or loser. My attitude when I was fighting, I always said to myself, I want this guy to know that I can take everything he has and he can't stop me. Right. I never got knocked down. In a, I've never been dropped from a strike in a fight. I've I've taken shots I shouldn't have. Carl yells at me all the time. He said I was so stupid. <laughs> uh, like my head's definitely, I definitely have problems from some of the shots I took. But my attitude always was when I walked out there, I said, I don't care what they hit me with. They can't stop me. I'm never going to let them stop me. And you really have to have that if you're going to take on challenges. And so many times in this gym in particular, uh, one of the reasons why my guys get places in a short amount of time is we don't say no to opportunities. Mm -hmm. We take on fights that on paper we should lose. We fight guys that we shouldn't be fighting at times. And I don't do this all the time. I only do it when I know we're prepared because it's there's no such thing as Superman. Everybody can right. be broken. So for me, as Any long as I Sunday. know if we're in shape, everything's firing right, I don't care who they put in front of that guy at that time, this is what they need. And I call it jumping the line. Mm -hmm. So instead of waiting in line, you know, we train so that people give us opportunities to get ahead. So instead of taking 10 years to get somewhere, we can do it in three. Right. And you absolutely structurally with your, your organization and then physically with the opportunities that come your way have to do this because you have to jump the line to bring awareness to a situation that you've been told, hey, it's not that we don't care. It's just not big enough for us to do anything. Absolutely. So you have to create the interest. And the crazy part is, you actually have to raise the funds. <laughs> like I know right now, you, 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 have a, you have a study that you're trying to fund. We do. We, we have a compound called John 914 that we're trying to fund over the next 12 months, and it's $360,000. Now, for me, again, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm crazy with that. Is that. like For me, I'm like, okay, 12 months, we need to cut that time down as mm -hmm. much as possible, and we've got to do everything we can to bring the awareness to get that done because – uh, this is your kid and the clock's ticking and I know you know that and I'm not telling you anything you don't know but anyone that's listening and if you're this is even from a from a spectator perspective if you're waiting to support something a disease like this works so rapidly waiting is just not an option you, you can't wait people don't understand why they don't they don't want me to wait for the process to unfold I have to unfold the process. Yes. There is no process when you're fighting something that no one knows how to fight. Yeah. So we have to go out and do it because statistically they say by the age of 10 to 12, a kid will be in a wheelchair. Well, guess what? I know about a half a dozen kids at the age of seven already in wheelchairs. Yeah. What do those families do? Yep. It's terrible. So we, we got to go out and we got to be the guy. And not everybody's prepared for the fight. No. Not everybody's you. Unfortunately and unfortunately, no, they're not. And... Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. There, it just is what it is. Some people respond to adversity in different ways. And quite honestly, I, I, I say 
I say this one all the time too. I'm like, when the zombie apocalypse comes, they're going to come and hide behind us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They're going to find the fires. Yeah, we need, absolutely. you know, you need your you need your people on the front line, and you need your people that are going to take care of people in different ways too. It it takes all kinds to get through this, but I I I hope the message resonates more and gets out more that if you feel like you don't have the ability to fight, know that there are people out there willing to fight for you. Absolutely. If anybody's listening to this that knows somebody with a child with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, know that Jar of Hope is here for them if they feel lost. And we were speaking about this the other day in terms of the the storytelling aspect of this to help people understand. Uh, there's a commonality in in the human experience and anyone going through this there's a connection for you guys and if you feel like you're alone dealing with this if mm -hmm. you feel like it's just you and your kid it's not just you and your kid i mean you're saying there's twenty thousand other people dealing with this right now in in the u.s and there's three hundred thousand globally yeah so, so it's not i'm just like even just on a domestic level mm -hmm. when you say i'm alone there's twenty thousand other people just in the united states right right and, and, and a great point to to not being alone is there's a woman right now in australia in sydney australia was hitting me up and we were talking via text in the car it's probably one o'clock one thirty in the morning yep. where she is and she felt all alone she had to leave her house because she just can't take it. It's just it's overwhelming. It's extremely overwhelming. She's got other kids besides one that's potentially going to die on her, right? And she's she's just overwhelmed by it. So she had to leave. She pulled into a stranger's parking uh, uh, driveway just to have a breakdown moment. And she felt thank thankfully that she yes. had me halfway around the world to talk to. And the hard part about it, we're dealing with children, and as parents, as just people. As adults, we, we recognize that children need us. And these things are extremely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not easy to quit, but it's easy to entertain the idea of it. But we have to, but we can't because we have people to take care of. Absolutely. And, I can't tell you. And that's, the, of times. that's the 3 a.m. in the dark. How do you respond? Yeah. You know? You got to have your breakdown sometimes, but when it's over, you got to suck it back up and you got to go back and do your thing. And, and people don't understand. Like, I'm about to take on this 20 week challenge from, from November 11th, correct me if I'm wrong, from the yes. 11th out to the middle of March. Yes. And then we're going to fight at the end of it. People, why? Do you have any idea what goes on inside of me? I need some release. I actually think this is a healthy release for you. It's going to be amazing. I think this is, this is it brings awareness. It allows you an outlet. It brings more people into the fold of what's going on here. It's just, it's good for you. It's good for the community. It's good for Wimta Warrior because even with Wimta Warrior, when they found out what it is you're fighting for, we're now trying to figure out how do we make Wimta Warrior a global ambassador for Jar of Hope. So mm -hmm. this is a, a huge opportunity for all of us to, to, to again, the why is so important in so many ways. Uh, and if, if the, the if why is just a selfish thing, it's hollow. Uh, having a charitable opportunity. Um, and I mean, honestly, man, it's like just to help somebody going through the painful situation you're going through. It's like to share that pain a little bit, um, if it could help in any way. Like, you know, that's just everybody's responding the same way. It's just like, God, I can't imagine what person's going through right the fight community even though it's a combative sport is an amazing community yes, like, i can't thank you enough for bringing this to my attention i can't thank those behind the wimp to warriors for for championing this disease because 
It's a muscle-wasting disease. No one's ever done this in 200 years. So I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have the Wimpto Warriors to want to get behind this because without your muscle tissue, you cannot be a fighter. And, and, it, and that's the one thing, too, with a lot of times we lose perspective because we self-focus too much and we, you know, we complain about so many things that are not worth complaining about. Yeah. You know, too hot, too cold, my food, my this, my that, whatever. When I watch social media, it's like me just crazy. shut your mouth. Like, seriously. Like, that's when people start complaining about, like, politics and stuff. I'm like, you know, there's actually real stuff going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Not guys in suits yelling at each other about whatever. Like, there's real things out there. I, I lost my stepfather to uh, Parkinson's syndrome, and it's, it's, there's Parkinson's and Parkinson's syndrome. Parkinson's syndrome, one of the reasons why I, 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 I identified with this even more was Parkinson's syndrome you pass away from multiple system atrophy so mm-hmm. literally one by one all of the different systems in your body shut down mm-hmm. so my stepfather went from being a 215 pounds very athletic man to when he passed away I think he was 105 pounds and oh, had nothing like because his body didn't have the ability to produce muscle his body didn't have the body by the time he was done he had um, he had um a feeding tube. I think that's actually. Is that you? That was the stopwatch. <laughs> but when he passed away, it was like he couldn't. He actually drowned in his own uh, mucus because his body didn't have the ability to. So Cough he, it out. Yeah, so you have different systems to do different things. So he basically drowned because his body couldn't process it anymore. So one system was still working, and the system that processed it stopped working. So he basically drowned. He had a feeding tube, um, could barely walk. And your mind is completely okay the whole time. So you literally become a prisoner in your own body. You can barely talk. You get lockjaw. Your joints don't work. It was awful. And we trained every day through the whole thing. And uh, when it was after he passed, his doctor actually told me that he lived about six years longer than they thought he would because of the physical activity we did every single day. Mm-hmm. So my commitment to that was I needed to prolong this gentleman's life for as much as possible because he was a good dude and he right. deserved to get some uh, get some more time on right. this earth. And we did everything we could. And that's why I understand the fight where people said, oh, you're going to be dead in three years. And, you know, nine years later, we were still God working bless. on the airdyne every day. You know, I put him on the airdyne and crushed him on the airdyne because I needed to get his body moving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't want to do it and have to talk him into it and talk him through it and didn't want the feeding tube, didn't want to do this, didn't want to do that. He wanted to give up. But then you got to remind him that, you know, you're still alive. You still got things to offer. And it was a daily struggle. So I went through that. And and uh, that profoundly changed me because it made me really focus on things that mattered, which was connection and people and legacy and Mm -hmm. having a positive footprint on this life. It wasn't about acquiring. It was about giving more. And you see, I mean, I get pretty aggressive with this stuff. So like for me, it's like, I, that's just my thing now. It's like, I I just, I want to see people helping people in a way that works for all of us. That's it. So, but again, it was coming into this life and death situation where I saw somebody degrading. I was able to have an opportunity to help them. You're in that fight. You're in that fight with your kid. Anybody that gets involved in anything around this can get involved with this fight. And if anything, it could open up the perspective. So instead of just looking at what we can acquire, it's what can we create? Mm-hmm. And if we can create a cure, that's that's the goal. Absolutely. And save these children. Yeah. Save, I, they're kids, man. They didn't ask for this. They certainly did not.
There's so many diseases out there that people don't ask for that happen. And uh, I, I, I think we have to have just more awareness to the struggles that people go through and we have to do the things we can as a community to, if we can't combat them, if we don't have the skills to combat them, to at least give people a sense of not being alone through these times, man. Absolutely. That's why for me, Killer Bee, people say, oh, you're Jim. And I use the word Jim because it's the, it's the word that is easiest to define what it is we do in a, in a, in a way that an outsider is going to understand. Uh, but it's really a community. Everything we do, it's communities based upon ideas. Mm-hmm. If you believe in an idea, if you believe in a particular way with a bunch of people, you've now got a community. And that's all right. this is. You're developing a community around a cure. Um, you're developing a community around having empathy for a situation, bringing awareness, all that kind of stuff. It's all just developing communities. We're that's all, a great perspective. But we're all doing the same thing. I mean, right. even, even when you create a company, you basically you're creating opportunities for people to do stuff together towards an idea. I mean, everything we do is community building. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what it is, but we lose sight of that at times. So whenever you're doing something, other people are involved. It's not about you. It's about you within. Right. I, like We have individual goals. But it takes a community to achieve all those individual goals together. Absolutely. That's why I love, like running is cool because you can do it alone. It sucks, but you can do it alone. Mm-hmm. This you can't. Like you, like Wimp to War, you can't do it alone. You can't train yourself to fight. You need other people to kick and punch, to kick and punch you. You can't learn jujitsu by hitting a heavy bag. Jujitsu is like the whole another one. You can't wrestle a bag. You can't choke a bag out. You don't know if you've got it unless you're actually doing it to another person. You don't know how to fight out of it until they do it to you. So it's a very practical interactive experience and that's where the camaraderie and the bond comes from and then when the more you do it everybody eventually starts to learn what everybody's why is and that's when the community really gels and things get interesting it's awesome and yeah if there's any business owners out there they got to get involved in this absolutely got to get behind the the, the wimp to warrior program jar of hope the killer bees and uh jar of hope can use the support right it's the only way i'm going to really get 100 percent support from my initial circle yeah <laughs> is is you know what what's going to come out of this yep. right jim why are you doing this how does it help find that cure well well this is the way this isn't the red cross where like three percent of that money is going towards something right. and funding multi-million dollar ceos mm. this is literally you have a number you need to achieve so that you can fund a study so your kid can stay alive the best word that i could share with everybody is what jar of hope is we are the conduit from donor yeah. to doctor. Yep. That's it. But we need your help. We, we, we need those donors to get to the doctors because we got the doctors, we got the compounds. Unfortunately, we can't afford to get it in the children. That's where we fall short. And that's why the awareness is just so damn important. And that's why my desperation, I'm willing to throw myself into this Winter Warrior program. You, you just threw out there before the demographics, the age, and I seem to be at the top of that, which is fine. Yeah. I, I love being the odds are stacked against me. That's fine. It's not for me. This is for my son yep. and for other children alike. We've got. But if it wasn't a challenge, I don't think you would do it anyway. Well, no one's ever just going to walk up to me and write me a check for a million dollars. Here you go. Here's fund that cure. It's just not going to happen. And well, maybe. Maybe. Well, you I never know. If you're out there, please. <laughs> You need to follow up on this, and you need to find us. Right, it doesn't need to be three hundred a million dollars. Three hundred sixty thousand right now will do it. But a million would million would be pretty damn good too. That would help because we have a compound jar nine thirteen that we're trying to fund, and that's going to take a couple of million dollars because we got to get that into the mice, then into dogs, and then into humans. Right now, we're we're really my son is a sacrificial lamb. 
Yep. We're going right into my son. My son and three other boys uh, are getting infusions. Currently, October 4th was the first infusion. Jan the first week of January is the second infusion. We're doing this every quarter. Um, and this has never been tried on anything before. This has never been done before. So this is historic. So anybody who wants to get involved can really change the whole history of this disease going forward. Yeah, it's not just it's not just you and your son. I mean, this literally this is a this is a historical event. We can change history here. Absolutely. There's a little boy Drew who's six years old. There's a little boy Cal who's seven, and a little boy Jocko who's coming. He's six years old as well. He's coming from South Africa. South Africa. That's how far we've reached. We've, we've gained attention and momentum. And there's boys where that are sick and pe families that are desperate to save their children, that they will do the same thing. And there's always going to be every, every day you're going to have another kid. We, we just found out triplets, girls, triplets. A family's got three children that are going to go through this disease. Three. In Utah, a few years ago, I met a few different families that had four boys, three boys, two boys. There's a family in Florida that's got twins uh, between 9 and 11, both in wheelchairs, almost quadriplegics, and they're not even 12. Who knows about this family? I say, I say this to everybody that, that fights. I say the minute you – every fight that goes a little long – you get into a place where everything kind of stops. You've probably felt it in running. You probably you probably feel it every day when you jog. I, I hate running. I do it like I, this happens to me within three minutes. Um, you get to this place where everything kind of stops or slows down, and you now have to answer questions for yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's you have to you're going to coast, you're going to quit, or you're going to kill it. Right. And you've got to decide what are you going to do because you can stop right there. You can pull back and kind of see what happens, or you could just say, you know what, fuck it, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you've got more fuck it in you yeah. <laughs> and quit in you, and you can keep going. And that's the thing where uh, the community aspect of this is uh, I, these parents have to be faced on it daily basis yeah the woman pulls over in the driveway looking for a lifeline to like give me a reason to keep going please yeah it's 1 30 in the morning in sydney australia yeah. and she's reaching out to me because and she's, she's answering that question right now right she's going do i fake a smile and just kind of get through this or do i keep going do i keep reaching out do i keep fighting and that's where the the community is just so important and that's why we have to get momentum so that these people always have the energy that if they don't have it somebody has it for them yeah and no matter if you're if you're listening and no matter what your fight is because i come to find out that everybody's got a little bit of shit on their plate everybody yeah. hey i'll tell you you just brought up a point so my stepfather literally two weeks before he died said this to me two weeks before he cannot move this guy tried to walk and fell and laid there for like three hours because the maid couldn't find him. Oh, dear Lord. I mean, so he gets up and he whacked his head on the wall and his head was bleeding. And was like, I'm like, Phil, are you all right? And he's like, you know what? He goes, as horrible as my situation is, if we all threw our problems on the table, mm -hmm. I would take mine back. I'd keep mine. I don't want yours. Right. Everybody's going through something. Everybody. And your fight's your fight. Own it. You don't mm -hmm. want somebody else's fight. No. That's a pain you don't ever want to know. Just deal with yours and learn how to deal with yours uh, because there's a lot of shit out there. Right. And we're all – I don't care how good you think someone has it. There's still something bugging them. <laughs> we're all fighting something. <laughs> this is not – this is right. an imperfect world. And that's 
I, I, I think the struggle is what makes life so interesting, quite honestly. If we didn't have something to fight for, about, whatever, I mean, where's the drive? If it's too easy, we mm-hmm. just waste away. We need a focus. I don't want your focus for sure, right? but I want your focus to make me understand why it's so important I don't quit on the things that do come my way because there are bigger struggles out there than the ones I have. And me as well? Yeah. Unfortunately. It, yeah. We just we have to understand that struggle is the beauty of it all. Well, I, I don't know. The, the, the only way I'm ever going to see that point is if I save my son. Of course. But but that's but again the purpose in your life and the energy you have and the motivation and the see for you like you it, this is a tough conversation but the reality of it is that your struggle is a beautiful thing for a, a lot of people that are coming in contact with it because you are changing a lot of perspective and you're bringing a context to life that people have lost sight of so you really are doing as horrific as your sitch is it's still doing a lot of good for a lot of people. I, I hope so, because that is one of my main goals in, in doing all this, to show people that it's a lot easier to give up. I yeah. Mean, there was, there was, my wife and I, in, in, in within the first 10 hours of getting the diagnosis from my son, we wanted to take our own lives. We yeah. planned taking our own lives. And, I, I, you know, hopefully I could speak about this. because I'm it's, not it's surprised. Truth. I'm not surprised. Because, the, you know, the, the dichotomy of losing your son... My daughter's losing a brother. What's going to happen to their future? My wife lost her father and her mother already. Now she's going to bury her son. This is what we're facing. Yeah. We're like, you know what? Let's expedite. That's it. Let's end it all. Let's just put ourselves in the car, in a garage. We'll all go to sleep and they call it a day. But at the end of the day, who is that helping? Right? Because, and, and, and before that, I used to teach my daughters, because my son was at four years old, but I used to teach my daughters, you don't know what's going to happen unless you try. Yeah. Right, you know, if you don't if you don't try, you know the results. And that's the but, coasting one. Right, but what if you try? You can change. We right now, Jar of Hope, can change everything in this disease, and you too can in your life. No matter what it is you're fighting, as long as you try, can't quit. You can't quit. You can't because then can't the disease it. wins. Disease is not only going to take my son; it's taking my life. It's taking my wife's lives. It's taking our relationship. If I give up, when guys. Guys quit in fights. Uh, happens. Mm-hmm. We see it. You see it? And I tell them all the time. I'm like, listen to me. I'm 45 years old. I don't remember my wins. Mm-hmm. I remember the times I didn't go as hard as I knew I could. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that stick with me most. And that's what sticks with most people most. Right. And you just don't want to live in a way where you have too many of those opportunities to keep you up at night. You need to fight the fights that are in front of you with everything you've got so that when you look back, no matter what the outcome is, you know you did everything you could. Give you a quick example. My best friend since I was 10 years old passes away January 29th, 2018. February 9th, I'm flying to New Zealand to run a 205-mile race over seven days. Within 12 hours after that's over, I was going to fly to Australia to do 100 miles more. So it's 305 miles in 12 days. My best friend just passes away. People are telling me, we understand you're not coming. My wife, it's okay. Nobody's going to be upset that you don't go. No, no, no. I, I have to go because that is life. One, people, we don't get through this. That's number one. Number two, if I stay home, I'm going to just, in self-pity, 
feel bad for myself that my best friend is not here. Me staying home will not bring him back. And he didn't want you to stay home. He was the first founding member of my board. There you go. He would have not wanted me to stay home. He would have wanted me to go, take him with me. Yep. And, and battle for and my And that's son. the legacy aspect of it, too. If someone has a relationship with you like that, that's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. So as horrible as the passing was, there was still something there that kept you going and got you to do something. And that's the handoff. And that's the thing where like the most horrific situations we can go through can actually be the most teachable moments. They can spark the most positive impact. And no matter what happens, whatever the timeline is here, you started something that hasn't been done. So we're all going to be better off. Mm-hmm. We are better off. We will continue to be better off. And it'll you've created something that can just keep pounding this out. And that's the important part. I mean... You, you struck a nerve there, if I can interject for a sure. second. So, and again, for people that are listening, right? There's a lot of things I bring up to the medical community. And they're like, no, we don't do that. That's never been done. Who gives a shit? So, do it. <laughs> so that's my point. If, if, if Duchenne has never been cured, so how do you do something that's never been done before? You, you do have it. to do things that have never been done before. Yes. So here we are, and we have a novel approach. And, and to think about it, it's only $360,000 we're spending on a novel approach to save potentially four boys. And a $360,000 bill in a trillion-dollar industry is nothing. It's nothing. This it's is pocket change bucket. to these companies. Absolutely. The marketing budget for like dick pills is a a million times more than this. Right. And and that's an off-label drug. Yeah. Because that was meant for the heart. Yeah. And and this is it's nothing, $360,000. And people can be a part of this. Winter Warriors is going to be a part of this. I mean, even if we're talking about, you know, if you want to disclose, you know, potentially what's going to happen with the funding that can help. You know, I think that's an, an incredible opportunity for us to fund something in a, in, a, in a way that's never been done before. Well, people are saying, you know, what, you have to come up with creative solutions. So we've been working on a creative solution. We're actually creating a Jar of Hope brand of T-shirts that we can make as a printable market mm-hmm. so that we actually can create a mutually beneficial situation because the printing business is a big thing. I actually own a printing company called Three Piece Printing, and I do custom screen printing and embroidery. And Instead of printing on uh, Gildan, Jerseys, Next Level, whatever, we can actually print on Jar of Hope, give the same level of quality and service that we do, but a portion of the proceeds go back to the charity. So I'm providing a customer what they need in terms of giving them the product they want, but it's coming from a source that has a greater benefit. A greater need. Yeah. A greater need. Yeah. And, and everybody wins. Everybody wins. And yeah. I mean... You know, every gym in the country should be calling you, Brian Wright, <laughs> to buy a Jar of Hope T-shirt. Yes. Every gym in the well, country. Well, you think about it. So I used to, I've sold brands to uh, licensing companies, different things that, over the years. And I, I sold a brand of T-shirts and, and we were having a conversation. And I said, you know, when you sell to Walmart, you sell them a dozen. And I was like, what? And they're like, no, no, you don't understand. You're selling them a dozen for every one of their stores. Mm-hmm. So you're not selling a dozen. You're selling like 300 dozen. Right. So when we look at this, if so, if you feel like your impact is not even okay so we're doing a shirt for the new york city marathon if you feel like that oh personally i can't have an impact they need three hundred thousand dollars my 20 bucks doesn't matter well when 500 people spend 20 bucks that is no longer 20 bucks you know like so it, it doesn't matter if you're a gym and you need a small run or a big run or whatever every every purchase adds up so it's it's 
again, I'll bring it back to the gym thing. It's like those 10 push-ups add up. If you do 10 push-ups every day, Absolutely. it's a different impact. You know, so you do what you can when you can. And if it's a dollar or 10, it doesn't matter. If it's one shirt or if it's 24 shirts, it doesn't matter. Everything is going back to fight this cause. And when all the different avenues of promotion come together, that $300,000 will be there because you know, this charity is, is being organized to generate these funds. So when you're looking at something like this, and if you get that idea that you're not making an impact, anything you can do, even if you can't afford, uh, you know, 20 bucks, that dollar you give matters. Every, every penny counts. If they do 10 pushups and donate $1, if they're on Facebook, any social media platform, you're raising awareness and you're helping funding a cure. Yeah. Bottom line. And I don't really, I don't, see too many people coming up with creative solutions like this and we've we've got more to come for sure we've been really racking our brains on ways we can create awareness and ways we can uh you know monetize this so that we can get this this thing done but uh yeah it's when you're when i really like the where you're saying in terms of when people say oh it's never been done before it doesn't mean it can't be done it just means it hasn't been done right no one's thought of it just like the bottle well it's not even that no one's thought of it it's that no one is just accepted the challenge of it Mm -hmm. they've accepted the idea that it hasn't been done they haven't accepted that it could be like it's just a different it's a different different level of of acceptance but i mean hey that's the daily struggle how many people do you run into in this world that mediocrity is what they are fighting to accept on a daily basis because they don't want to have to fight right they struggle to maintain this shitty middle you know, well, it sucks, but well, it's better than having to sweat my ass off doing this or risk pain or whatever. But you know, when you understand your why, you don't accept mediocrity. I this is something I deal with on a daily basis. I speak to it quite often. I'm like, you you should be fighting for the extraordinary, not for the mundane. Mm-hmm. You have one life to live. Squeeze everything out of it you can. Squeeze it. Yep, like a lemon. Just squeeze it all out. Because. I mean, Duchenne is the battle, but there are so many others. You never know what could happen. You get hit by a car today. You come a quadriplegic. You could mm-hmm. fall. I I knew a guy who was a karate instructor. It's crazy. He did full contact karate. This guy, bare knuckle, full contact karate, full on. He was a, a Kyokushin off, uh, Kyokushin derivative. Anyone knows Kyokushin? It's a extremely brutal form of uh, martial art. And I mean, pounding himself daily, bare shins to the thighs, bare knuckles to the body, like heavy, heavy, heavy contact. They go to summer camp. He's standing in the water. And no shit. It was like a ripple of a wave comes and hits him in the back. And the guy falls under the water. He doesn't come back up. And everyone's like, what the fuck? They think he's kidding. Mm -hmm. They go in. The water hit him in a weird angle. His spinal column snapped. No kidding. And he became uh, quadriplegic. Holy cow. 43 years old. (laughs) Literally standing in the water. So, like, literally, you just don't know. Right, so what tomorrow's going to bring you. Yeah, so whatever you've got, appreciate that shit. Wow. <laughs> Be respectful of the gift that you have in this moment in time. Be respectful of the fight that you've got. Be respectful of the opportunity you have. And that's why it's just you, you, when you're not, when you're gifted, the things you're gifted, if you're not prepared for the challenges that give you the opportunity to maximize those gifts, I, I, to me, that's kind of, that's, probably the only sin i actually agree with in life is just like not living up to the potential of the gifts that you were given the bronx tale says it best there's nothing worse than wasted talent absolutely right if you want to see a really good one similar is uh 
Remember um, Papillon with Steve McQueen? No. Goodness. All right. So Papillon was uh, a prisoner. Uh, in, they sent him to a penal colony. He was in France. He was a prisoner. They sent him to a penal colony in Guyana. And it was a life sentence. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't accept it. He tried to break out of this penal colony more than any person ever tried. Like, he literally just every day was trying to break out, break out, break out, break out. And in the movie, he has this nightmare where he goes in front of this tribunal. And they say, you are guilty of a wasted life. And that was the motivation. He said, I fucked up, but I don't deserve to be stuck in this penal colony and just waste away forever. And he never quit. And he's the only person that actually ever escaped. He did escape. And uh, he went back to France. And he started a movement, and they closed all the penal colonies globally for, by the French government because he said, you're basically taking men, throwing them on islands, and letting them waste away and die, and it's inhumane, and it's inappropriate, and he literally, he was responsible for closing down the penal colonies. And I it love was, that story. Yeah, and but when he sits there, he's like in the middle of a desert, and there's this tribunal, and they look at him, and they just say... You're guilty of a wasted life. I saw this when I was 19, and Phil is the guy who made me see it. Mm-hmm. Phil, my stepfather, passed away. He said, you need to see this movie. Not because he thought I was wasting my life, but he knew I... I it was in the vein of thought. Mm-hmm. And I saw that, and it has never left me. Right. I all, and I, like That is, when I don't feel like I'm doing enough, I think about, am I guilty of wasting my gifts? I just don't ever want to be guilty of wasting the opportunities that were given to me. That's why I don't usually say no to opportunities to do things because who the hell knows you don't know what door is going to be open by no. walking through it like, e- even this platform today that you're providing me with right i'm coming to do a podcast i don't know what's going to come of it but how do i say no people say to me why do you waste your time doing a podcast i'm like what do you mean waste my time i get like five thousand people listen to an episode for me i don't know and i don't give a shit if you never join my gym i'm not doing this as some like marketing spiel I literally think the stories and the connections that I have in my life mm-hmm. deserve to be told. Because if we just tell each other, if you and I sit and have a nice conversation over coffee, it's really cool. We do something. But expanding the circle and getting other people to understand the experience, the stories that we've told in this podcast from people that I have uh, friends that were, you know, had alcohol issues that overcame them and, you know, straightened their businesses out. People, I told you, I think I told you this the other day, like the commonality I find is people like us in our 40s, you know, mid to late 40s, you know, we were young and arrogant. We fucked up. Mm-hmm. We figured it out. We fucked up again. And then most of us found a partner in life that gave it a little bit more meaning. Been through a bunch of shit. And we're at this point now where it's like, oh, now we understand why. And become like, very humble in it all, yes. It, it's, it's the hum- humility, the audacity, all of it together. It's yeah. like now you've got the balls to actually go do something with it, hopefully. Right. But you do it in an educated fashion because you really are educated by life now. Mm-hmm. Who gives a shit about the degree you got when you were 24 if you have one? But, you know, it's all the ups and downs and it's and at this point my friends are, are mostly people that have failed forward to a point where they're now making it mm-hmm. i don't tend to hang out with people that are still failing because the activities that surround that are not things that entertain me right. so it's like positive yeah. yeah like the people that i i tend to know are people that you know they're not going out on friday night they're figuring out like how they're going to crush what they got lined up for saturday I you love know that. So it's just the nature of the beast. I let I let the young guys do that stuff, and because they got to learn too, you know. Well, part of the problem is right now. And Charles Dickinson once wrote, "The two greatest moments in your life are the day you were born, I know that, yeah. and the day you realize why." 
Right? A lot of people don't know their why yet. Yeah. Right? So I thought I understood my why. No way. Not until the day my son was diagnosed. My why. I guess it also... You gave, thought you did. I thought I did. And then right. you realized you had no fucking clue. <laughs> right. And it, it, it punched me right in the throat. Yeah. And, and my why, it also gave me the bravado, the, the balls to do what I always wanted to do. But I was afraid to be perceived as pompous, believe yep. it or not. But when it came to my son, it's all... It, no one's going to to think elsewise, like, why I do what I do is because of my son. End of story. There's not, There's no other explanation needed. So when I talk... People ask things to me. When I was younger, I would do things... It was easier for me to do things at times because I only had to worry about myself. But then I, when I got married and I had kids, now I, I laugh my joke to people as they ask me to do stuff. And I'm like... Do I have the ability to go home and tell my wife and kids that I'm going to be doing this right now? <laughs> like, you're going to ask me my time with no benefit to me whatsoever. This is all you. You right. just want to take. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to go home for two extra hours tonight. And I'm going to go home. And you want me to tell my wife I did this? What are you, fucking nuts? <laughs> like, I get this a lot. Guys would be, like, asking me to hold pads for them for free and stuff. You get mm -hmm. these young guys that are like, I'm going to be the next Conor McGregor. I'm like, you haven't even fought yet. You haven't even trained yet. Like, you want me to give you a discount and my time. Right. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. This is not, that's not mutually beneficial. That's like, I'm not riding pipe dreams here. Like, we have to be doing practical shit that's going to make things done. Like, I can justify expenditure of time to my wife. Like, if I'm making money, making good. Like, that's it. Right. Like, 100%. pay the bills, do good things. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, outside of that, no. Like, I, I need to be with my kids. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, not to keep going back to the Wimpton Warriors, but I, I, I love this whole concept uh, when you brought it to me because for that very simple reason of a young kid who thinks he's going to be the next Connor, Connor has practiced over and over. I mean, I can't imagine how many jabs that man has thrown since he's wanted to be in the UFC, right? To be where he's at now. And unfortunately, they make it look too easy, right? So this That's Con media. But well, it wasn't that easy. When Connor's in the ring fighting, right? Yeah. It, it makes his, his combinations look very easy. Yes. One can think they can do that. Of course. Right? So and that's what I love about this program because it takes the average Joe who thinks they can fight a Barbosa or, or a Conor McGregor or somebody and, and think they can get it's away with it. It's a reality check. 100% it is. I, I think everybody should be in a Everybody that's going to talk about it should have to have an opportunity to be about it mm -hmm. because, like, this is not... It's, you know, the thing too is, I, I, so I had a meeting with a with a, a group yesterday that I'm working with. With uh, we're talking about creating a strategic partnership for for our businesses, and we were talking about the misconceptions a lot of people have about what it is we do. And it was funny; the person was hesitant to talk to me because a lot of people within this MMA martial arts industry, the majority of them are full of shit because the majority of them don't actually do this. Mm -hmm. They kind of play at this and they pretend to do this. Uh, I'm not pointing fingers or anything like that. I always get in trouble whenever I do these. I always go down this road. But we're, but I mean, and I'm not saying that I'm better or whatever. I'm just saying I have a certain level of experience that brings an authenticity to what I do. Mm -hmm. There's a deeper understanding of what I do because I've done it at so many levels. This is my 21st year doing this. God bless. You see the flags around here. I've, I mean, we've fought in 13 countries at this point. I personally have fought in 13 countries, and I've gone back to most of them with other fighters at this point. We've done everything from taking people off the street to getting them to the UFC and everything in between. Like. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Mm. And my understanding of the sport is a real understanding. I didn't read it. I didn't watch it on YouTube. That I've lived practical. this. This is my mm. life. Mm -hmm. So when you speak to me about this, I'm telling you the practical reality of this, not some fabricated thing. And a lot of people that 
kind of play at this. And a lot of instructors in schools that have never really operated at a particular level or been around people at a particular level are perpetuating what they were told by people that were never there too. So it's mm -hmm. this weird yeah. kind of off-culture thing. And when they come and they try and speak about things, it just it rings hollow. And other businesses don't want to partake in that because they can they can just it just reeks of of inauthentic uh, yeah. and then when we're speaking as business owners we speak the same language because they're at at the level they're at in their business and the level at them on i business where we're finding parity and it allows us to like do things so experience is everything and you can't you know fake that and you know that's where the the wimp to warrior gives you the ability to actually have an authentic fight camp an authentic fight experience which is going to give you a deeper understanding not just of fight sports but bring back the reality of how much fight sports bring you in touch with yourself mm -hmm. and that's where the that's that's the hurdle we have to hop over a lot of times when we talk about combat sports to the level in which we do it and the, and the one the biggest misconception everybody thinks they come here and they're just going to get the shit beat out of them i can't tell you how many people come in and they think i'm going to break them in half on the first day or they're like scared to death of me and i'm like the fuck you scared of me for here i'm here to like teach you something not hurt you you got to come back tomorrow right and, but it's like everyone has to either go to school go to work or they're gonna have to fight and you have to be healthy for all of them mm -hmm. and high level training is the safest training you can do i i th think about it in from a race car let's say if you took your race car and slammed it into a wall every day you're not ready for the race mm -hmm. like we can't smash ourselves into the wall every day no, we have to build ourselves up so come fight day we're 100 percent well that, that's the view of, of the people who don't know have never walked into a fight facility they like think this. it's a rocky movie yeah, absolutely every day every, every day. day like you know apollo yeah Golf round. yeah you're like right. you know and it's funny rocky too I'm like, God damn, I can't imagine how many orthopedic surgeons got jobs because of the strength and conditioning shit he was doing in that. You know, you've been lifting in gyms your whole life. You see Absolutely. stuff like you're like, oh, my God, that's a shoulder tear right there. Oh, my God, that's a hip replacement. Oh, his knees are done. You know, you can't. It's, it's like this is that fabricated perception that we get. And, you know, we've got to overcome that. And, again, bring it back to your struggle. Same shit. Doctors have bought into you know it hasn't been done which is basically you know the the you're perpetuating a cycle of thought over and over and over so why can't we do something different so you're say you're 35 years old and you've never fought a day in your life you've never been punched in the face and you've never even thought about the idea of being punched in the face but you've got this weird idea of doubt in the back of your head i'm not saying come in here put your hands behind your back and let me punch you right. but why don't you deal with all the issues around that to see if you could actually deal with it that's a great point so for all those people who are listening from the jar of hope side of things right yeah. that have not, not really understand this world what does it look like on november 11th how many fighters or, or just everyday joes are going to be here to get involved in the winter warriors and do you need more people to get involved in this program, even with me. Does anybody out there want to get involved with me? Because no November 11th starts the program, yes. right? Yes. I mean, we, we definitely have spots. Um, we want to get as many people involved as possible because the more people we have, the more momentum we have. And the more momentum we have, the stronger the community and the, the more everything we're talking about solidifies itself. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, this is the thing. And if you're going to get anything out of that program, you're gonna you have 
a, a different struggle than most, but you, it's not just this cathartic relief. You come in, you hit stuff and deal with your anger issues. You come in and you get a really deep understanding of yourself. You get a deep understanding of how you're interacting with other people and you conquer some fears and apprehensions about physical stuff that you've been trained to avoid in life mm -hmm. and you realize that it's not as crazy a thing as it's been made out to be you're a lot tougher than you've been made to believe and you can endure so much more than you have ever given yourself credit for and that carries over into every aspect of life i got a fighter ricky bendejas who's a friend of mine he trains at att in florida he has uh, three kids i have two kids and we had an amazing conversation off air. It wasn't a podcast. We were just talking one day, just shooting the shit. And it was like, God, the craziest part about fighting is it helps us get up at 2 o'clock in the morning when our kid needs a diaper changed or the bottle or whatever. It's the weird things. Like you become a fighter in everything when you got to mow the lawn. I fucking hate mowing the lawn, but I do it because I'm like, it's the last round. I got to get it done. Like I'm in this crazy mentality. People tell me I can't do something. I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to figure it out. Right. Like it changes the engine. Like you get revved up by adversity. You learn who you really are and what you're capable of doing. And it, you it get translates to, to those races. And you can enjoy it and you can learn to not... You don't like the pain, but you can be motivated by the pain. Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time, you're not a real fighter until you actually go harder when you're hurt. You go harder when you're tired. Mm -hmm. When you flip that switch and you've become that animal, you've evolved with your understanding of what it means to be a human. Because right. it's only those that are the thoroughbreds that do the things that you think can only be done. Right. You know, and then you can break down the barriers. It's funny. A lot of people see stuff on TV and they're like, and then they see someone in person and they're like shocked that they had the ability to actually see somebody that was on TV. I'm like, we're all just people. There's no <laughs> supermen in this world. Like we all put our pants on one yeah. leg at a time and we all do the same stuff. Like with fighters, people like Carl Roberson made his pro debut against the guy who had 127 fights. It was Jerome LeBanner, a, a, a heavyweight legend. Carl was a 185 pound fighter who fought a heavyweight in his first pro fight. First pro fight on four days' notice. And Carl dropped him three times and actually won the fight. They screwed us, but he did win that fight. The community knows he won that fight. It was a 23-second 10 count wow. in the last round. It's fucking crazy. But so why did Carl have the audacity to be able to do that? Because we just have a mentality of there's no such thing as Superman, and I don't care who you are or what you've done. You're just another person, and you're a challenge for me to overcome, and that's it. That's We're going to take it on. Fuck you. We're going for it. Right. So I'm not hoping I'm not turning off your community with the amount of f bombs I'm dropping. I'm a little tired today, and I tend to curse more. But yeah, this is it, man. Like a doctor says, oh, we can't, we can't do it. It's like no, it's not that you can't. It's just you're choosing not to. It's mm -hmm. it. So we have to create a community of people that choose to do, and that's our thing. So how many fighters we got coming up this series? Um, we are right now what. We are still going through the uh, what they call the tryout phase. So we have tryouts coming up on Saturday, and I think we have 20 people scheduled to come through to try it out. Uh, we're still closing people on this. The, the goal is to get 16 to 20 people totally to get the first series off the ground. So I worked with um, the restaurant MJ's, the manager over there, talked to me last night. He actually is going to try and figure out a schedule so he can do it and bring over some of his staff from there. I've got some other people actually from the gym who've never fought before that might actually switch from regular classes to that program to try and get it together. So this so is the inaugural class? 
This is our second season doing second. it. Okay. The first one we did, it was bad timing. We only had a handful of people that signed up. So what we're actually doing is rolling them over into this class as okay. well. Awesome. So, uh, yeah. I'm excited then. Yeah, I'm excited too. Uh, so is there's, there's a uh, fellow who does uh, food purveying, right? Um, is, is he involved yet? Oh, no, he can't. No? No. We're talking about Jamie from E Clean, bro. Sorry. I'm going to say it because I talked to him and uh, I completely understand his deal. He's expanding his company Mm -hmm. and he's spending like four or five days a week in Atlanta right now. Oh, God bless. But he wanted to do it. He was like, bro, if I was around, (laughs) I'd do it. And so I think we'll get him in the future. Okay. But I, I don't think he can this series because of uh, technical difficulties. So I hope that uh, Jamie from E Clean Bro is Jar of Hope's first sponsor. Oh. Jamie, it's out there now. I, I got a text from him late last night. Can you talk? So hopefully that's what it's all about. Yeah, I, he, he's a good dude, and he understands the cause, and he has respect for – for uh, I think the, the – um, he knows about the Wimp to Warrior program. He was down with it. The president of the Wimp to Warrior program is Scott Viscomi. Scott is actually good friends with Jamie, and they've been talking about it for a while. They've just been trying to figure out how to get it done. And just It's not the right time for him. But, uh, okay. uh, yeah, hopefully he'll get it in in the future because even for him, I think it's uh, a level of credibility for somebody in his profession. He works with so many professional fighters mm-hmm. to understand their struggle bring them a different perspective on what he does too absolutely so i i think anybody that's working with fighters from like strength and conditioning coaches to nutritionists to whatever if you're working with fighters and you've never actually had an authentic fight experience mm-hmm. this will bring you credibility for your clients and a better understanding of what they do so well jar of hope all is all way, about good. taking people who've never done anything before and making them do it like yep. um, last year i had a girl run the new york city marathon or participate in the new york city marathon what did it with a broken foot Wow. She, she finished it. Nine and a half hours, but the girl got it done. This year, we got an older fella in his 60s, two, two reconstructed knees. Never thought he could do it. He lost about 100 pounds also as well. And now, I'm, come Sunday, I'm going to get him through the race. So if there's accountants out there, if there's just, you know, everyday, anybody, anybody who, who's living a lifestyle where they want, they always thought that they had this in them to do it, come on out with me and enjoy this next 20-week process. It's going to be amazing. I I... A hundred percent agree with you because to go, the most valuable thing we can do is help people become people that do instead of don't. Right. You know, because it, again, it's not can or can, it's will or won't. Mm-hmm. And you had made mention that uh, the Winter Warriors, they offered me a challenge that if I get through this, something was going to happen. Yeah. So we're working it out so that uh, we're going to, we're going to match your funds. Mm-hmm. So, uh you're you're gonna the investment you make into the Winter Warrior program for you is gonna actually we're gonna give you your money back and then match that back to the foundation, and then we're gonna we're trying to work out how we can create a percentage from the the uh, memberships right now can actually go back to it so that when we do the finale at the end, mm. so because you train for the twenty weeks and then we do a finale where we put an octagon in the venue and we bring all your friends and family in and we have a big fight night, so we want that night to be a big event for you and your foundation and we really want to get much closer to your goal so we can get this study off the ground in much faster than 12 months and i hope this proves to everybody what lengths whatever it takes there you go i will get it done and whatever it takes is the hashtag on the most amazing, well-designed shirt I've ever seen in my life for the New York City Marathon. I wonder who designed that. It was awesome. Whoever did put together a great shirt. Yeah, I heard I heard he's a cool guy, too. <laughs> Got a great beard as well, right? <laughs> so I made a shirt for Jar of Hope to, for the marathon to... 
this we're doing pre-sales on that. They actually end um, this week. Uh, the details are going to be on the Killer Bee site. They've been on the Instagram story for a while. Check it out. You can Venmo Jim uh, your size and your address, and we will get those off to you. It's a $20 investment. goes towards an amazing cause. But then you also have, besides making a one-time $20 investment, you do have the 13 We do, yeah. So explain that real quick. The 13 Dollars that people yes. are going to donate. Yeah. So on on Marathon Sunday, we're going to be going live. I'm going to be with that fellow who's uh, 60 years old running the New York City Marathon with me. I made a promise to get him through it. So we are going to be asking people that day if they would like to make a $13 donation uh, monthly for the next 12 months. So. And that is a small investment on a monthly basis towards yes. a very big result. So and. You'll get a T-shirt if you do it. And, and absolutely, you will get one of these limited edition New York City marathons where the butterfly uh, logo has been changed and beautifully done. But you will be the only one to have that type of T-shirt this year. We're going to stop it after uh, uh, after Marathon Sunday. And the reason why it's $13 is because little Jamesy was diagnosed on September 13 in 2013. So it's 13 bucks. We're trying to make a very bitter day into a sweet day with your donation. Perfect. So I'm going to have to run because I got to go and pick up my kids. So it was great to have you on. And we will definitely do this again as the different events come around. And then once we get into Wimp to Warrior, it would be great to have you come on and talk about your experience too, about the different challenges, how you're handling training and, you know, what you think about, about the process. Because, uh, you know, coming on and just pumping it up is not really the thing. The thing is to really let people understand what it's about. The best way to find out is to come and actually do it. But if you can't do it, we still want to get the message out. Awesome. So. Thank you very much for having me. And I encourage everybody to come out and be a part of this with me. So, Jim, tell everybody where they can find you, your website, your social media, all that stuff. So our, our website is jarofhope.org. Uh, we are on uh, Facebook at Jar of Hope and James Raffone, R-A-F-F-O-N-E, as well as Venmo at Jar of Hope. Instagram at Jar of Hope Org, O-R-G. And uh, please leave messages, ask about the foundation, uh, partake, make donations, and we will keep everybody up to date on this JAR 914 compound that is actually going into four boys for the next year. We need to raise $360,000. Please make a donation as big, as small as you can, and follow along the Wimp to Warrior program because my why is to save a life from a suffering from Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I don't know how I come after that one, but oof, here we go. Killer B, you know where we're at. Killer B Combat Sports Academy, Oakhurst, New Jersey. You can find us online at killerbcsa.com. We're also Killer B CSA on Instagram, Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're basically everywhere you need to be. I even started screwing around with that TikTok. I don't really know what I'm doing. I think I'm too old for that, but the young kids all tell me I'm supposed to be on there. Uh, we got to say thanks to a couple of people that make this happen for us. Uh, the Wimp to Warrior program, you can find that out through wimptowarrior.com. You could also find out information about Sucker Punch Entertainment, who is our sponsor. Um, they're the management company that manages most of the fighters that come out of here. They've been a huge supporter of this. They've been one of the main reasons we're connected with a lot of the things we are. Uh, you definitely have to check out November 9th, headed out to Russia. Carl Roberson will be fighting on the UFC Fight Night in Moscow. So that will be, 
I think it's going off about 11 o'clock in the morning on that Saturday because of the time difference. We're going to be watching that at MJ's and Neptune. They're opening up a little bit early for Carl's fans and the people from the gym, so you should definitely go check that out. Uh, anybody else I'm missing, I'm sorry. It's uh, We've been talking a while, long time uh, training this morning. So this is Brian Wright with Jim Raffone. We are out.